room a wonderful dinner last night a gift basket all of it thank you so much for the way you have treated my wife barbara is right down here and uh, she is the love of my life i wish she could say the same about me but i <laughs> she has followed me literally around the world and uh, i am so appreciative of my wife Hey, just a couple of plugs before we get started this morning. First of all, I just met a young lady that is heading off to PCC here in just a few weeks. She's going to be a freshman there. Let me just say, if you have children, please start praying now about their future, who they're going to marry. First of all, that they know they're saved, who they're going to marry, what college. This is the truth. The friends you make in high school will be your high school friends. The friends you make in college will be your lifelong friends. I have prayer partners to this day that I met in college. Listen, Christian colleges are not the end-all, be-all. Okay, they're not. You, you can send a kid off to a Christian college and they can come out carnal. But I will tell you this. The chances of them marrying another Christian on a Christian college campus goes up by almost 90%. <laughs> Um, so just consider praying about something like that. Um, it doesn't have to be PCC, though. If you want to send them to the best, I'm just saying. My, 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 assistant, pastor, my assistant pastor went to West Coast, and he swears that one is the best. He's wrong, but he can swear to it. Um, hey, I also want to say thank you for your care of the Avilas. Um, we are going to be Tim's sending church um, here in the States. That's why we're bringing him over so he can get to know our church. We can get to know him as well. He is going to be traveling for a couple months around the States. And I mean from Florida all the way out to Arizona, um, Nevada. He'll be up in the Dakotas. He'll be here in Alabama. Um, he's going to be in Colorado. He's going to be all over. So please pray. He'll be here next week, next uh, Monday, a week from tomorrow. Um, I just want to say... <clears throat> Uh, we had the privilege of being missionaries to Wales, and then we, we planted a church over there. We planted a church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. How many of you have ever heard of Las Cruces? A few of you have. Hey, great. All the way over here in Alabama, it's the home of none other than our claim to fame, Billy the Kid. Um, great godly man that he was. Um, <laughs> And so we planted a church there. We were there for eight, nine years. And the Lord, uh, we were planning on planting a church in Southern California. And um, the Lord had different plans. And um, my brother, who was my sending pastor, left his church and became the pastor at the campus church there in Pensacola. And um, through that, I became the interim pastor at his church and met... Uh, Calvary Community Baptist Church. I went up and preached for them, and they said, hey, would you consider coming here? And I said, no, um, I will not. Uh, and the Lord said, yes, you will. <laughs> and I said, okay, Lord. Um, and so that's a little bit of our background, and we, honestly, the Lord has allowed us to travel to South America, to Australia. Um, we were 
uh, all over Europe, um, all over North America, uh, in Canada, of course, part of North America. I don't know if you knew that or not, but <laughs> our, fif- our 51st state up there, if you're Canadian, I apologize for that comment. Uh, you'll probably punch me in the face afterwards. Um, the one place I had never been was Asia. John Conrad called and said, hey, I want you and your brother to go over to the Philippines with me, and uh, there's going to be several opportunities to preach, so you guys can take turns preaching, and uh, this was pre-COVID. I'm like, well, my brother's going, and he said, yeah, he's going, he's planning on going. I'm like, great, I'll go then, and then COVID hit, and of course, plans changed. And John said, called back and he said, hey, they've opened up the Philippines again. Are you ready to go? I said, sure, I'm looking forward to it. Plan on me going. And then he said, oh, by the way, your brother can't go. And I went, oh. I already said I could go. I wish I'd have asked that question first. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, well, you know, you and I will take turns preaching. He said, oh, I don't preach. You'll do all of the preaching. I'm like, how, how, how much preaching? And he said, oh, you know, just about every night. It won't be a big deal. You'll do fine. <laughs> Great. On the plane ride over, honestly, this was my attitude. I've never been to Asia. Don't want to go to Asia. Never been to the Philippines. Had a Filipino roommate in college for three years. Didn't like him either. No, he was a great guy. <laughs> I did not want to go to Asia, did not want to go to the Philippines, and I'm not kidding, the whole way over. We landed in the Philippines. I met John in Korea. We flew into the Philippines together, and I went, don't want to be here. Don't like it here. We landed like 11 o'clock at night, and I'm like, this is a stupid country. (laughs) They don't even drive normally. Uh, if you go over to Manila, you'll wish you hadn't if you get in a car with Tim Avila. And you can tell Tim I said that. My prayer life increased a hundredfold getting in a car while Tim Avila was driving in Manila. I'm like, Lord, please help me. I need something here. Um, <laughs> and so um, I, about two days in, we went to the Manila North Cemetery. And I went, God, forgive me. I had no idea. Lord, we have it so good. Lord, how can you use me here? I got to know Tim, and uh, I found out that Tim was living on about $50 a month. I spend that on lunch. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I started talking to Lito, and I'm like, Lito, we need to get Tim to the States to raise support. How can we do that? He said, Pastor, I don't, I don't know. I said, well, I do. This is what's going to happen. And he said, you wouldn't believe what a blessing that would be. Lito is really helping Tim um, support Tim in the cemetery ministry. So not only supporting Tim... Um, frees up Tim, but it also frees up Lido to put more finances into the Independent Baptist College of Asia Pacific. Well, they are training Filipinos to go to places like Vietnam, Laos, 
places that Americans cannot get into. Um, this trip leader said, hey, how about if we go to Vietnam and visit a couple of our Filipino missionaries? And I went, oh, no, please don't do that. I don't want to go to Vietnam. And then I went, no, Lord, I'm not going to say that again. There is something about those are, that are blessed for believing who have not seen. I know you can see pictures, but it doesn't do it justice. If you ever get a chance to take a missions trip to a third world country, I highly recommend it. It will turn your world upside down. The needs that third world countries have. And I will tell you this, the Filipinos, for having nothing, are the happiest people I have ever met on this planet. They are just filled with the joy of the Lord. And I want to commend you and thank you for all that you are doing, not just in the Philippines, but around the world in helping build these buildings. They're vitally important to have a roof over your head, a place to meet, a place for children to grow up safely. All of that matters. And I don't think you're going to, I don't think we'll know until we get to heaven, the impact that a church in Prattville, Alabama had in some of these third world countries. I think you're going to get there and it's going to be like, hey, you gave and because you gave, I'm here. Thank you for giving. I can't think of anything better than to stand before Jesus Christ and have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter for great is your reward. I'm done with my plugs now. Let's get into our message this morning. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to look at the subject of let's take a walk or faith. If I said to you, um, just imagine for a moment that you're taking a walk. You can, you can imagine however you want. You can be anywhere you want. You can be walking with whoever you want. I know the pastor would say, if I'm taking a walk, I'm taking it with my wife. And his wife would say, if I'm taking a walk, I'm taking it with the dog. Okay, so um, I'm kidding. I'm sure she would say, I'm taking it with my husband in Hawaii. Um, yeah, that is what she would say. We had dinner with them last night. I know that's true. So uh, this, is, this is how I imagine my walk. I imagine my walk with my wife. We were uh, we ministered up in Dyer, Indiana, for several years. There was a park there that had cobblestone roads. We adopted a a son from Ukraine when he was five years old. There was uh, a time that I met them at that park, and my son came running up to me, jumped into my arms, and we started walking together. My wife, son, and I, we now have a 16-year-old daughter. Our son is 27 now. He's married. Made me a grandfather. I am way too young to be a grand. I mean, look at how good-looking and young I look. And nobody said amen there. Um, thank you for that. That hurt deeply. Um, yeah, so we are new grandparents. We, she's almost five months. I imagine myself walking with my wife and children in that park. I love that place. But isn't it funny if you thought for a moment, why is it that we don't picture ourselves walking with Christ? Isn't he real, just as real as you sitting there? 
Yet so often when we think of our Lord and Savior, he's distant, he's off, he's in heaven. No, no, no. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, but I'm going to leave you with my spirit. And here in the book of Hebrews, it talks about having a specific type of faith. Do you understand? I don't have to ask what is faith. We can ask what is grace or mercy, but here in Hebrews, it gives us the preeminent description and definition of faith. Now, faith is. So here the apostle is like, uh, if it is truly that Paul that wrote Hebrews, um, whoever you believe it was, I do believe that it was either Paul or Barnabas, and they were both apostles. So whichever one wrote it, now faith is. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. So here he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is substance? Well, I have a lot of substance, a lot more than I used to, okay? You can see me, right? You can hear me. If you were to come up and shake my hand, you could touch me. I hope this morning you can't smell me, but hopefully you are seeing and hearing me and we shake hands, you're touching me. There's substance to me. This is what he says about faith. There ought to be some substance to your faith that people ought to be able to see it, to touch it. To know that it exists. In other words, if you were on trial for your faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Are you the type of person that your neighbors would be able to say, that is a person of faith? How do you know? Because I've watched them. They put their trust in a God they cannot see, but know that he exists. Because he lives inside of them. They're just different. It's the evidence of things not seen. My father was a police officer for 32 years. For part of that time, he was an arson investigator. He investigated fires. Now, no offense to anybody in this room, but I am so smart that if a house caught on fire, I could say, there's been a fire. Really, Rob, how do you know that? Well, let me just point out a few simple things to you. See those walls over there? They're charred. That means there was a fire. The smoke rising up in the air, if there's no smoke, there's no fire. So I know there was a fire. See how smart I am? That's brilliant deduction right there. Any idiot can walk into a house and go, yeah, there's been a fire here. My dad could walk into that same house and go, really, within a minute, tell you if it was arson or not. Why? Because he was trained to look for the evidence, the burn patterns, whether there was an accelerant used, whether it was an electrical fire. He could tell very quickly if somebody threw gasoline on a wall. I would walk in and go... There was a fire. How can you possibly tell that? Look at the burn patterns. What are you talking about? 
there was evidence left behind. And because there was evidence left behind, he could tell. Our faith ought to be leaving behind evidence of our Christianity, our trust in Christ. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report through faith. We as Christians understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Man, does that fly in the face of the world's quote-unquote science. It's junk science. How did we get here? We evolved. Evolved from what? From ourselves, basically. They will say, in the beginning, dust. And we were formed. We say, in the beginning, God. You choose. And something made this dust start spinning. And it spun faster and faster. And it gathered more dust and more dust and more dust. And all of a sudden, there was an explosion. Now, I am telling you this. If you spin something and you explode it, if you do it a million times a million, the laws of thermodynamics tell us if you're spinning something explode, every single thing that spins off of it will spin the same direction, no matter how many times you do it. But we're to believe that this one time, this Big Bang theory would lead us to believe that all the laws of thermodynamics had to be broken for this to happen. Because things that came spinning off of it are spinning in different directions. I'm telling you, I don't care how many times you blow up this building. If you're to blow it up, it's not going to create order. It's going to create chaos. But this one time, this incredible order of the universe all of a sudden came from an explosion. The stupidity, the foolishness of that. Just so they don't have to say, in the beginning, God. But you and I as believers get to say, in the beginning, God. Now faith is, and this is what it does for us. It lets us know there is a God. But it goes on to say this in verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible. Get this. It's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You must believe that he is who he says he is. If you hear a preacher talk about theistic evolution, mark him as a heretic because he does not believe God. Because the very first verse says, in the beginning, God. And this is what he did. He created the heavens and the earth. You must believe he is who he says he is. That's faith. I'm putting my trust. This is not blind faith that takes somebody getting in a plane and flying it into a building. That's blind faith. No, no, no. We have fact on our side. We have true science on our side. This is not blind faith. This is faith in an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God who loved you and gave himself for you. I had a lady in Wales say to me, Pastor, I'm not coming to church anymore. Why? 
Well, because you teach that God created everything. Yes, ma'am, I do, because the Bible says it. She said, well, I don't believe the Old Testament. I believe the New Testament. Okay. In the New Testament, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And she looked at me and said, well, I guess I don't believe that either. I said, then you have a real problem, don't you? You're calling God a liar. Oh, she got angry. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm not trying to anger you. I'm trying to help you see that what God says, he means. And it's important that we believe him. Let's go on and look at somebody that had an incredible walk with Jesus Christ. Okay, take your Bibles now. Turn to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit or it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Does anybody know what happened right before this story? We call it the feeding of the 5,000. That is not a true statement. The Bible says there was 5,000 men besides women and children. Some scholars believe that there was between 50, 15 and 25,000 people there. You remember the story? The people are getting hungry. And Jesus says to his disciples, what are we going to do? And the disciples said, send the people away. Pastor, this is a true statement. You get rid of the people, you get rid of the problem. If you didn't have anybody in your church, you would have no problems. Except you, that's true. Why? Because when people come, people bring their problems. That's why we have the church. To honor and glorify Jesus Christ, to fellowship together, to help each other, to encourage each other through our messy lives. We're humans and we have problems. Aren't you grateful for a church that can help you with that? Jesus said, I'm not going to get rid of the people. That's why I'm here. But Lord, if we had all of this money... Oh, man, we as Americans are great at that one. If we just had more money, we could really do something for Jesus Christ. Let's just take faith and push it to the side and give us the almighty dollar. Jesus said, I don't need money. Jesus said, just give me what you have. What a great place to start with God. Do you know what he asked for? Your heart. If you would just start there, I'm going to give Jesus my love. 
I'm going to love on him a little more today than I did yesterday. I'm going to think upon him. I'm going to dwell upon him. I'm going to put my faith in him. You understand that you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from an eternity in hell. Wow. But I won't put my faith in him for my day-to-day needs and wants. How silly is that? This is what happens. Do you remember who brings the food to Jesus? Who is it? It's not the little boy. It's Andrew. Simon Peter's brother, remember him? It was Andrew. How did Andrew get the lunch of that little boy? I mean, no offense, but if there's an eight-year-old kid that has a lunch and I'm hungry, one of us is going to eat. It's not going to be the eight-year-old boy. I don't know how he got the lunch. I would assume that the little boy gave it freely. That's what we assume. Andrew could have been a bully. I don't know. Um, But he got the lunch and he brought it to Jesus. Five loaves, barley loaves, and two fish. Something akin to sardines and little wafer type things. It was the lunch of a poor person. And this is what happens. The Bible says that Jesus blessed it and he broke it. And he broke it and 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 he broke it and he broke it and he broke it and he broke it. They had him sit down in groups of 50 and 100 and the disciples start passing this food out. And everybody eats. And everybody's full. From five loaves and two fish, that's a big deal. The disciples come back up and they each have a basket full of food left over. Remember, it was the disciples who said, get rid of them. Jesus is proving a point. Listen, just give me what you have and I'll do wonderful things with it. Now get this. I don't know, but I do know Jesus. And I have a feeling that Jesus said, get the boy. Get the boy. Because you can't outgive God. I'm not cheapening God here. I'm not teaching a prosperity gospel. We cheapen God when we say, we'll give him five bucks, he'll give us ten. It's not the way God works. God says, if you'll obey, I will bless you for your obedience. Okay? So if you are a tither, which I believe you ought to be, God says, I will bless you. It may not be with giving you more money, but the blessing is coming for your obedience. Okay? I can imagine him saying, come here. Here's a basket full of fish. Here's a basket full of bread. They're yours. Can you imagine that little boy walking back into his house with all of that food and his mother looking over and say, where did you get that food? Jesus took my five loaves and two fish and he broke it and this was left over. Can you just see the mother? Don't you lie to me. You stole that. Then get to your room right now. I mean, can you imagine that little boy going, look at what Jesus did. Now we come to this. Now he sends the multitudes away. He goes up into a mountain apart to pray, but he says to the disciples, I want you to get into the ship and I want you to go to the other side. 
what would be the logical question if we get into the ship and we go to the other side, what about you? The disciples get into the ship and they go to the other side. Jesus goes up into a mountain and he starts to pray. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know the storm was coming, yes or no? Then why did he send them? Because he knew the storm was coming. It's a teaching opportunity. Do you understand that because of our faith, there's oftentimes that Jesus will lead us into a storm. Not to abandon us, not to hurt us, but to grow us, to stretch us, to make us more like him. These are experienced sailors. The Bible tells us that as they're going across, the wind is contrary. It doesn't mean they were sailing this way and the wind was blowing this way. What it means is no matter what direction they were going, the wind was against them. It was swirling. Any genius knows if you're going this way, the wind is blowing this way, and you think you're going to die, turn the boat around and get back. They could not. And they believe they're going to die. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes down off the mountain and he starts walking on the water. The other gospels tell us that he could have walked by them without being seen, but he wants to be seen. And when they see him, they cry out, it's a ghost. And can't you just see Jesus walking on the water and them going, it's a ghost, and him going, what? What is wrong with you guys? It's not a ghost. It's me. It's Jesus. And you've got to love Peter. Well, if it's really you, if it's really you, bid me come on the water. I showed him. Jesus gives him a one-word response. Come. You can almost see Peter go, what was that? You shut your mouth off. And I know Jesus wouldn't say that, but I would. You shut your mouth off. Go ahead. Come on out. Andrew, brother. Hey, let's go, man. Uh-uh, Jack, you're always getting yourself into trouble. I ain't going out there with you. John, buddy, how about me and you, man? Go. Uh-uh, man, I'm not getting out of this boat. So can you imagine what Peter does here? Just think with me for just a moment. How would you handle the situation? You're in a boat, waves everywhere. Jesus said, come. This is what I would do. Now, I know I, I don't have the faith of a Peter, but I can almost see Peter do this. Look, I'm on the water. Can't you see him just kind of test it? Wow. This is cool. But honestly, if he begins to sink right now, what happens? He grabs the boat. Jesus didn't say, get out of the boat. Jesus said, come. So what does Peter do? He starts walking on the water and he's looking at Jesus. And I don't know. I don't know. But something took his eyes off Jesus and put them on his circumstances. And can I tell you, whenever we take our eyes off from Jesus Christ, 
and we put them on our circumstances, we begin to sink in the muck and mire of this world. The Bible says that immediately, as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus Christ and put them on his circumstances, immediately he began to sink. And I love what Peter does here. I would imagine that he's probably halfway or so between the boat and Jesus Christ. He can't get back to the boat. None of the other disciples got out with him. There's only one person who can save him. Jesus. And he cries out, Lord, save me. What a wonderful prayer. Simple, direct, to the point. Lord, save me. I hope you've prayed that prayer. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, put your faith and trust in him today. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. Now, he is a Christian, but he's a Christian in great need. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says that immediately Jesus stretched forth and caught him. But he doesn't pull him up out of the water. He says something first. He says, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now, can I submit to you this morning, get this. The problem was not the amount of faith that Peter had. It was that he doubted. How much faith did it take for Peter to walk on water? O ye of little faith. It took just a little bit of faith in a great God. We often misname Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the great faith chapter. That is not true. It is the great God of our faith chapter. Peter took just a little bit of faith and he put it in a great God and he walked on water. The problem was that he doubted. I was teaching this lesson to um, second through fifth graders. And I said, Peter is the only one to walk on water other than Christ. And this third grade boy goes, nuh-uh, my dad and I just went ice fishing. (laughs) Okay, water that's not frozen, we call that ice, okay? This is not ice, this is water. And he walked on it. Jesus brings him back up out of the water. Don't doubt me. Can you imagine what happens next? Peter, back up on the water. Thanks, Lord. I got it from here. Uh Uh-uh. Can you imagine what Peter does here? I'm with you. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going. Can you imagine that walk back to the boat? They get back to the boat. On the way back, can you imagine lightning strike? You see that? Yes, Lord. I made that. I know. Hey, look, 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 look. See the school of fish right over there? Yes, Lord. Made those too. I know. What an incredible walk. They get back into the boat. And the storm stops. And then it happens. Then they that were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. 
Can I just politely say this? Shame on them. Shame on them and shame on us for having the same type of faith. God, I will worship you as long as there's no storm. But if there's a storm, I'm on my own. I'll figure it out. I don't need you. I want to have my life this way before I will worship you. Do you understand that the other gospels tell us that their hearts were hardened because they had already forgotten the miracle of the loaves? In other words, what God had just done in front of them, feeding 20 to 25,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and they already forgot. And how often, Christian, do we do the same thing to God? He has blessed us over and over and over and over again, and yet when a storm comes, we act like he's not powerful enough to deliver us through the storm. This is their God. Now, I'm finishing now, and I want to finish with this. What has your faith asked of you? Because faith will always ask us for something. For me, if I could have those pictures. This is a young lady that, 15 years old now, both of her parents died. She's in the Manila North Cemetery. Both parents died. She has to go live with her aunt. Her aunt lived in the cemetery. She goes from having a mom and dad to having nobody and having to live here. Do you want to know how she got out of the cemetery? An older boyfriend she went to live with. What Tim is trying to do is prevent that. Get these kids into a stable place to live. Get them into a Bible-believing, preaching church where they'll be surrounded by people that love them and will care for them. Can I have the next picture? I was with a driver in the cemetery and saw this. I went back and got Lito, and I said, Lito, this kid, why is he naked? And he said, simply because he has no clothes. I said, where do we get clothes? He said, there's a place just outside of the cemetery. I said, let's go. Let's get him clothes. The mom took my hand and put it to her forehead. Sign of respect in the Philippines. The children do it. Next. This is on Minduro. It's one of the southern islands. Pastor Israel and his wife Eliza with three children. Pastor Israel, Pasignahim, his dad has a very large church on a different island. Israel could have taken over that church. Instead, he lives in a house. Uh, do you have the house picture? I want to see. If we can. This is his house. I was staying across the street in a beautiful hotel. I got up to my room, air-conditioned television, wonderful bed, showers. I opened up the blind to look out, and I'm looking at this. Right across the street is Pastor Israel's house, and I'm looking at this. When it rains, literally rain pours into their kitchen. Right next to their kitchen, it's not even a, uh, there's not even a floor, it's a dirt floor. He gave up relatively, speaking in, in a lifestyle of the Philippines, he gave up a life of luxury to live here to reach people that he did not know. 
Why? Faith. Because God led him to do it. And he loves those people. He loves those people like you would not believe. They live in squalor to reach a people that are not their own because of faith. I'll submit to you, for some of you, it is a sacrifice to give toward these missions projects. I understand that. But we have it relatively good here. And one of the easiest things we can do is give. We're Americans. You might be the poorest person in this church. You'd still be one of the richest Filipinos that there is if you lived over there and made what you made. Hey, I get it. It is a sacrifice. I know that. I understand it. But our faith is asking us to do more than write a check or give a $20 bill. It's asking us to tell people about Jesus Christ, to love what God loves, to go out and to compel them to come in that his house may be full. What is your faith asking of you? It's asking you to get out of the ship, your comfort zone, and take a step of faith toward Jesus Christ, to become more like him, to love what he loves. There's a whole world out there and billions have never even heard the name Jesus Christ. Billions. He said, you go until the whole world knows. What is the vehicle that drives us there? It is faith. That God will do with us more than we are capable of. Because he's capable. Father, I thank you so much for sending your only begotten son into this world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You've asked us to put our faith and trust in you, to do something that we can not do on our own, that only you can do through us. And you've said you want to use us. May we be usable. I thank you for a church that is actively involved in giving and going. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless them for it. And as they can continue to give, would you bless them more so they can give more? But Lord, I pray that we would do it by faith, trusting that you will do what you've always promised to do. Lord, if there be one here that does not know Christ, may this be the day of their salvation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Pastor? Lord, it's been good to be here this morning. And... Um... God, forgive us for we've not stepped out in faith and chosen our comfort zone. Um, Holy Spirit of God, this morning, as you've touched hearts, if you're listening this morning by way of our broadcast or you're here in person, you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you make that choice today? As Pastor Rob said, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But how about it, dear Christian? What's God asked you to do? Are you involved in the local church and giving to these missions works around the world? Um, Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'd seal decisions in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? Brother Joe's going to lead us in a verse.